algorithm, you will be presented with a lot of information. The point of this is so first, you are aware of the material, and second, you have options and more of an understanding for your clients and their needs. We understand that all this information can be overwhelming and encourage you to focus on the main points. Daniel Amen highlights the importance of having a healthy brain. He believes that because we can't see the brain, like we see the excess weight on our bodies or the wrinkles on our skin, we often neglect giving it what it needs not only to thrive, but to prevent degenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's. Dr. Amen mentions the importance of viewing obesity, depression, and Alzheimer's as interrelated diseases, all different expressions of the same unhealthy lifestyle. He believes that with his approach called the four circles, one can tackle all three conditions at once. The four circles include biology, psychology, social life, and spiritual life. This holistic approach accounts for various influential factors that have a meaningful impact on mental health. Every individual's mental health is shaped by these influences, and so it's expected that every individual will have specific diet and lifestyle needs. Does all of this sound familiar? Think bioindividuality and primary foods. Keep in mind that you do not need to know everything to get out and coach clients. It's all about understanding and awareness. It's up to you to decide how you may want to use this information and put it into action in your life and your clients. Are you having a great time? Are you learning anything that will change someone's life? Well, I'm going to add to that today. So I'm going to start with one of my favorite stories. Uh, Marianne was 59 years old when she almost quit the job she loved. She was having brain fog and pain um, and just thought her best days were behind her. Her daughter was a special education teacher who knew about my work and gave her my new book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Body. And Marianne is the patient or the client you love because she just did everything I said in the book. Have you ever met people who said, tell me the one thing that I should do? I have people ask me that all the time. And the one thing you should do is stop being stupid and do them all. And then within two months, the brain fog had lifted. And then a year later, Marianne is the Western Regional Director for Franklin Covey. So Franklin Covey is a huge, well-respected business development uh, organization. And I'm doing a project with them. And when she introduced me at their national meeting, she made me cry because she said, when I followed Dr. Amon's program for my 60th birthday, I gave myself the present of a fast-acting brain with the wisdom of age. And that's what I want for you, is a fast-acting brain, no matter how old you are. Our society is going the wrong way. I mean, we are seriously going the wrong way. Everywhere you turn, someone is trying to put bad food down your throat that damages your health. So I was driving. I live um, south of Los Angeles, and I was driving to LAX to come for a conference, and I looked to the right side of the freeway, and I saw this billboard. It's called the Tower of Tortoise Sandwich, 1,800 calories from AM, PM. And I'm just like, it's just one of those moments where you go, what is the matter with our society? And then as I turn my head to the other side of the freeway, 
I saw this billboard for losing weight with Lapad. Now, how crazy is this, right? So you are encouraging me to get my inner child out of control. And now we have to get surgery to get him back in control. We truly live in a psychotic society. I don't know if you know, but Alzheimer's disease is expected to triple in the next 25 years, and there is no cure for it on the horizon. The one thing, and I see a lot of young people here, that should frighten you is a lot of when I was young. It's like, well, I'll get well when I'm 40. Well, 45. Well, maybe 50. And I'm, one of my goals this afternoon is to teach you you have no time to wait. Because what we know now from the imaging literature is Alzheimer's disease actually starts in the brain 30 to 50 years before you have any symptoms. If you look at the statistics, and we are living longer than ever before, 50% of people 85 years old and older will be diagnosed with some form of dementia, which basically means you've lost your mind. That is a very bad thing. So if you're planning, if you're doing the right health things, you want to do the right things for your brain. I wrote a book once called Preventing Alzheimer's Disease, and here's the short course for preventing Alzheimer's disease. You prevent all the illnesses that are associated with it. Heart disease, cancer, diabetes, hypertension. If you don't exercise more than twice a week, you have a higher risk. If you have untreated depression, doubles the risk in women and more than quadruples it in men. So depression is a disaster, whether you're a man or a woman. So. At the Amen Clinics, and I'm so excited because I've spent most of the week here, we're opening a new clinic uh, by the public library, and we do imaging. So we're a group of psychiatrists that look at the brain. And over the last 21 years, we've done 74,000 scans on patients from 90 different countries. So we're very excited about this because the method we use is detailed clinical assessment. You have to talk to people, plus imaging. Now we can target treatment to your brain, and it gives us a very high success outcome. So we're thrilled about that. But one of the things that will horrify you when you start looking at the brain is Alzheimer's disease is a disaster. So these are two SPECT scans. SPECT looks at blood flow and activity, looks at how your brain works. The image on the left is a healthy scan. So the top left image, we're looking underneath the brain. The bottom right image, we're looking down from the top. The other two images, we look from the side. And the color really doesn't matter, it's the shape. It should be full, even, and symmetrical. You see the Alzheimer's scan? It's like the whole back half of the brain is dying. Very important structures that house direction sense and memory, knowing who someone is. And it's those changes in the brain start decades before you have any symptoms. Uh, their new 
guidelines for staging Alzheimer's disease, there used to be three stages. Normal, mild cognitive impairment, so that means many senior moments, Alzheimer's disease. Well, based on imaging work like mine, they added a new stage where you have no obvious symptoms, but your brain's deteriorating. That's horrifying. Mild cognitive impairment, Alzheimer's disease. Do you see how important it is to not wait until you get sick to get serious about your health? Depression is one of the greatest killers of our time. 50 million Americans at some point. So if you've suffered with, from depression, welcome to normal, right? According to the US government, 51% of people in the United States at some point in their life will suffer from a mental illness. Anxiety and depression are the most common. ADD, substance abuse. And so I often tell my patients that normal is the setting on a dryer city in Illinois. I've been there, I actually taught at Illinois State, and so it was so fun, it's fun for me, I could go to the normal grocery store. I went to the normal post office, was interviewed on the normal radio station, and for the first time in my life met normal women. message we have to get out to our societies, if you're suffering from ADD, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, you're normal. Get help. That's the smart thing to do. And the first thing to do is not take drugs. The first thing to do is get your diet right. Stop poisoning yourself. Did you know that gluten can make you crazy? So there are case reports in the scientific literature about people who are sensitive to gluten having psychotic episodes. I often put my patients on a dairy-free, wheat-free diet, and the difference in their cognitive health is so much better. But depression is not something to play with because it increases your risk for Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, cancer, obesity, and diabetes. And everybody here knows what's going on with obesity in our society. It's a disaster. And USA Today had a story two weeks ago that said by 2030, more than 50% of our population will be obese. And it's a risk factor for 30 medical illnesses. And I don't see Alzheimer's disease, depression, and obesity as separate disorders. I actually think they're just different expressions of the same unhealthy lifestyle. And so what I'm going to talk to you about is developing a program to actually attack all three of these at the same time. There are 22 studies now. I published two of them that say as your weight goes up, the actual physical size and function of your brain goes down. Now that should just scare the fat off anyone. <laughs> I read that first study from the University of Pittsburgh. My friend Cyrus Raji uh, performed, I mean, it's really, it's a landmark study. And I immediately lost 20 pounds. 
I am not going to ever purposefully do something that damages my brain. Why? Because that is not the sign of love. That's the sign of self-loathing. See, when you really get this message, doing the right thing, you don't feel deprived. Candy and cookies and Cinnabons and all of those things. You feel like you have to do it. That's where you want to help the people you're trying to serve. It's like, I'm not going to get better when. It's I have to do this now, otherwise I won't be able to think right. I won't feel right. I won't have the energy to do. And this is terrifying. The two studies I published, one, we looked at normal people, except one group was overweight. That was the only difference. They were the most normal people on the planet. And I have to tell you, it's hard to find normal people. Now, I know I live in California. I actually had a judge once in uh, Oregon. I was testifying in a murder case, and they were asking me about my norm. And he said, you really tried to find normal people in California? And I'm like, can you really ask me that on the stand? I just thought that was so rude. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe New York's not that different. Um, and what we found in our normal overweight group that had less function in their prefrontal cortex. Now, why does that matter? Your prefrontal cortex, the front third of your brain, largest in humans than in any other animal by far. It's what makes you human. Forethought, judgment, impulse control, organization, planning, empathy, learning from the mistakes you make. If you make bad health decisions, it damages that most human thoughtful part of you and you're not going to be making good decisions, which is why, because the incidence of child obesity, and it happens in teenagers. There's already been imaging studies with teenagers that say exactly the same thing. That means it's going to damage their ability to do school, damage their ability to be the best they can be as they start into the workforce. So there is no age where it's okay to not be healthy. And a lot of parents have abdicated their roles with teenagers. You know, they're a teenager, they'll do it. And they have the worst diets, in large part because no one's bothered them to teach them about their brain and how to eat right for their brain. So in another study we published, uh, we did a big NFL study. So the Amen Clinics actually did the first and largest NFL brain imaging study uh, that got the NFL to start paying attention to Getting hit repeatedly damages your brain. You know, most nine-year-olds would have figured that out. Um, but as their weight went up, their ability to think and reason went down. So if you're going to protect your players, you have to protect their nutrition and their weight. The fat on your body is not your friend. It stores toxins. It increases inflammatory cytokines that directly damage brain function. Anybody think boxing is a good brain sport? No. Your brain's involved in everything you do. How you think, how you feel, how you act, your intelligence, your character, planning, and every decision you make. I call one of my books is called Healing the Hardware of the Soul. Because your brain is the hardware of your soul. If you damage it, you're not going to act as moral, as loving, as predictable, as consistent, as kind. So you have to protect it. 
This is one of the major principles our work is based on. When your brain works right, you work right. And when your brain has trouble, you are much more likely to have trouble in your life. With a healthy brain, you're happier, physically healthier. Why? Because you make better decisions. You're wealthier because your decisions are better. You're smarter. You're more successful. And when your brain is not healthy, for whatever reason, you've had a head injury, you've had toxic exposure, you let your weight get out of control. You're sadder, sicker, poor, not as wise, and you're not as successful. It starts with brain envy. I want you to leave my lecture today caring about your brain. And nobody cares about their brain. Why? Because you can't see it. I mean, I looked at 74,000 scans. After about number 20, I started caring about my brain. It's like, wow, look at this drug addict. I'm not doing drugs. Or wow, look at this alcoholic. Oh, alcohol is really not a health food. <laughs> or look at these football players. I'm not letting my kids play tackle football or these soccer players. Or look at these firefighter brains. You know, they're exposed to toxins, including carbon monoxide poisoning and cyanide. Okay, we're not doing that. You know, there's a biology of people who run toward fires. They have low frontal lobes. They need a little excitement in their life. And there are people who run away from fires. That's me. I want you to burn this little image in your mind because it's truly terrifying. And now that I'm 58, it's even more terrifying. As we age, it's based on a study of 8,000 patients we did. The brain gets less and less and less active. So sort of like as you age and your skin falls off your face, the exact same process is happening in your brain because it's all about blood flow. Anything that damages blood flow to the skin, like smoking, prematurely ages it. But it's doing exactly that same process in your brain. So here is a 55-year-old person. It's typical. You see the holes and dents and pits. It's not that great. So this is what aging in the brain looks like. And this is what it looks like when you're 82. And you can really see how it's beginning to shrivel. So you have this big, fat grape that is now turning into a raisin. But it doesn't have to. So this is my friend, Dr. Doris Rapp, who is considered the father of environmental medicine. And she has been thinking about her health. And she's different than most doctors because she actually lives the message. Have you noticed? Has anybody else besides me noticed? I go to medical meetings, and I'm horrified by their health. And, and I, I know a lot of you are going to be helping people get well. Correct? So how many of you in this audience are going to try to help other people get well? Okay? So never forget this. If you don't live the message, you are a bad messenger. If you don't live the message, nobody will believe you. Just because you have the information, nobody will believe you. So your brain does not have to deteriorate. 
It's very clear after looking at all these scams is that your behavior either accelerates the aging process or it decelerates and you get to choose once you have this information. So the method we use at the Amen Clinics um, is we use a biopsychosocial spiritual evaluation. So we really get to know our patients very well. And then we add imaging, so know your brain. And then you have to know your important numbers. And then you have to boost your reserve. So let me just go through that quickly. So the four circles, biology, psychology, spirit, and connections. So your biology, you know, includes your genes. Your genes are very important, except your genes are not everything. Genes make you more vulnerable to illnesses. Your behavior triggers them. So here is a friend of mine who has a mother and grandmother who died of Alzheimer's disease. She has the gene that increased her risk for it. And when I first scanned her a number of years ago, she had very low blood flow in her brain, which meant she had the vulnerability for it. But I really like her because when she gets new information, she changes her behavior. So she really became a zealot for her health. She got tired of the food pushers, you know, can I get you a glass of wine? Do you want bread before the meal? Um, she really got serious about her health. And about three years later, her scan was much healthier. So she's vulnerable because of her genetics, but she's smart, so she knows her vulnerability, and then she makes wise decisions to decrease her vulnerability. Also under biology is your diet. Absolutely critical. Your brain is only 2% of your body's weight. It's about 3 pounds. But it uses 25% of the calories you consume. So it is the most expensive, the busiest, the most metabolically active organ in your body. I realize not for everyone. everyone. <laughs> but it's so important. And if you don't feed it properly, you won't think properly. Bad diets, so at the Amen Clinic, we call them SAD diets. The standard American diet is associated with heart disease, cancer, diabetes, depression, ADHD, bipolar disorder, and just about any bad thing you can think of. You want to get well, the first thing to do is get the food right. It's not, you don't have a Prozac deficiency or Ritalin deficiency. You are not evolved or made to need those things. Now, I'm not opposed to them if you need them, but what I'm opposed to is that's the first thing you do to get somebody well. Now, it's easy because, you know, doctors are only seeing people for five minutes. It's easy to do in a five-minute appointment. It's hard to sort of teach them how to eat right. But, you know, physicians certainly can hire nutritionists uh, in their office and say, you really need to go talk to this person. It's absolutely critical. Exercise, if you don't move, you die early. The stronger you are as you age, the less likely you are to get Alzheimer's disease. If you walk at 
three miles an hour when you're 80, you have a 90% chance of living until you're 90. If you walk at one mile an hour when you're 80, you have a 90% chance you will not see 90. So exercise is absolutely critical. Sleep. 60 million Americans have problems with their sleep. Unbelievable. And all of our fun little devices are interfering with sleep. Less than seven hours of sleep at night, lower overall blood flow to the brain, more bad decisions. So if you want to help somebody with their cravings, the two things to do, work on their sleep and balance their blood sugar. Because low blood sugar goes with low blood flow to the brain, more bad decisions. So if you're not eating breakfast to save the three or 400 calories, you'll never be able to control your appetite. The people who lose weight and keep it off eat breakfast. But they're not having cornflakes. Hormones are absolutely critical. I have a new book called Unleash the Power of the Female Brain. Very excited about it, but also very nervous because I have five sisters and three daughters. And I know that no matter what it is you say, someone is going to be mad at you. But hormones are absolutely essential. Low progesterone actually goes low 10 years before women go into menopause. Most women don't know that. And all of a sudden, progesterone's the brain's natural value. It relaxes and calms you. All of a sudden, they're 38 or 40 or 42, and they can't sleep, and their mind's racing, and they're anxious. And now they start drinking more. They start taking benzos or um, taking Ambien to get to sleep at night. A little natural progesterone can just make a huge difference. Your physical health matters. Hypertension, diabetes, all lower blood flow to the brain. Brain injuries, they're critical. It's probably the single most important thing I've learned from looking at 74,000 scans is mild traumatic brain injuries change people's whole lives, and nobody knows. This was a 19-year-old girl who came to my office, and she was... Uh, sad and anxious, had a terrible temper, and I'm like, have you ever had a brain injury? And she said, no. But her mother was in the room, and her mother starts to cry, and she says, you don't know this. When you were nine months old, your father put you on a backpack, and then he went riding on his motorcycle into the forest, and he saw a tree that had fallen over, and he thought to himself, I can get underneath that tree. And so as he got to the tree, he ducked, and forgot you were on his back. And you were unconscious. We thought you were dead. And she never knew that her problems in school or problems with her mood or problems in her temper were, in fact, due to a traumatic brain injury. Allergies matter. So gluten or milk matters. Toxins matter. Environmental toxins. Do you know if you work in a nail or a hair salon, you have a higher risk of Alzheimer's disease? Do not get your hair colored every two weeks. That's a really bad thing. Gray is good. So one of my patients who had problems with alcohol, and she saw her scan, she saw the toxic bumpy scan and stopped drinking, which is the sign of intelligent life. 
Psychology matters, which is how you think, or your body image, so important for women. Your upbringing, significant developmental events, past emotional trauma, all incredibly important. This is uh, my wife when she was four years old. Cute, huh? She's still that way. But she remembers when she was four years old. Just a horrifying moment when her mother and grandmother fell to the floor crying when they found out her uncle had been brutally murdered. It was shortly thereafter, and this is very important to you, learning about nutrition. It was shortly thereafter she was spending a lot of time in the doctor's office undergoing procedures because she had belly pain. Early traumatic stress is associated with gut problems. 75% of women who have gut problems experienced early emotional trauma. So getting the emotional trauma fixed is incredibly important. Um, spirit, and most doctors never talk about the, the spiritual sense of a person's life, but it's so important. This is where you ask yourself the big questions in life. What does your life mean? Why are you here? What is your purpose? Why do you care that you need to be healthy? If you don't get people into that part of their mind, they won't sustain being healthy. So what's your purpose? Why are you here? So Bari is one of our patients who um, has a deep sense of meaning and purpose because her husband, who owned a sheet metal company, killed himself leaving the children without a father, and the business was in trouble. So she had to figure out how to sort of put the pieces of her life and her children's lives back together while rehabilitating this business, which she did. I mean, she's an award-winning CEO, and she heard, uh, saw my show on television, and she got brain envy, and she says, all right, I have to get healthy, and did the program, just did everything I asked her to do, and the cool thing is she wrote me and said, I closed a million dollar deal after I took the program because I was thinking better. I want that for you. Connections are who do you spend time with? We're a relational species. Very important, especially for women. You are not a polar bear. You need other people. But did you know people are contagious? One of the number one predictors of longevity is the health of the people you spend time with. So if you're hanging out with unhealthy people, you die early. Now this doesn't have to mean you get rid of all your family and friends. <laughs> be the leader. Model a new way of living, but don't be terribly irritating. Okay, so we have the four circles, and so we need to do biological interventions. So think diet, exercise. Those are biological interventions, natural supplements, medicines if needed, but not the first thing you think about. I always think to myself, first do no harm. Psychology, you have to teach people how to think. You don't have to believe every stupid thought you have. Here's a very simple exercise that saves my patients thousands of dollars in therapy if they'll do it. Whenever you feel sad, mad, nervous, or out of control, write down your thoughts. Identify if they're crazy, stupid, negative, and then talk back to them. 
it's amazing. We're never taught back, you know, I talk back to my parents. Everybody else talk back to your parents. I mean, I was like really good at it. You have to do that with yourself. Spirit is no why you care, know what matters, and stay connected. The fastest way to get healthy, you really want to get healthy, the fastest way to get healthy is to find the healthiest person you can stand. <laughs> and spend as much time around him or her as possible. And then you have to know about the health of your brain. Nobody cares about their brain. We let little girls hit soccer balls with their head, do dangerous gymnastic routines, spend hours in toxic nail or hair salons. You know, people don't care. They care about their skin because they can see it. They care about their fat because they can see it. I want people to start caring about their brain. So again, it's actually my scan, my first one, was a little on the toxic side 20 years ago. But I got brain envy and I went, well, I want this to be better. And so through doing the right things, 20 years later, my brain actually looks healthier and younger. In doing the imaging work, what we discovered is there's not one type of overeater. I talk about this in my books. And Rachel Ray and I actually talked about this. Um, so you can't give everybody the same program. That's very important. Uh, they're compulsive overeaters, right? They just think about food all the time. They're impulsive overeaters. They don't really think it until they smell it, and then they go get it. And then they're impulsive compulsive overeaters. Those are the children and grandchildren of alcoholics. And then they're sad overeaters, people who overeat to medicate depression. And then they're anxious overeaters. They're actually different programs for each type. The compulsive people do better with smart carbs. The impulsive people do better on high-protein diets. Uh, isn't that curious to you why there's so many different diets? It's because, and they work for some people. It's because no one is basing the diet based on their individual brain type, which is, I think, one of the most important things we've discovered. And then the next part is you have to know your important numbers. BMI is very helpful. I mean, it's not a perfect number. But it's very helpful because when you know your BMI, you do stop lying to yourself. So I have a brother who I adore who was very overweight. And I'm like, OK, get on the scale. And he had a BMI of 41. I'm like, dude, morbidly obese. He's like, you're so cold. I'm like, you know I love you. It's the truth. This is going to kill you. Blood pressure is critical. CBC, all these blood tests are important to know because if you don't know them, you can't change them when they're off. I like to say you cannot change what you do not measure. Bernadette sent me this uh, note earlier this year. She wrote to me and she said, you know, I'm very diligent about getting my yearly checkups. And after I read Change Your Brain, Change Your Body, I was diligent about getting my lab work checked. And I actually, when I, you should get your thyroid checked. Anybody who struggles with weight should get their thyroid checked. But not just the TSH, that's thyroid stimulating hormone. I think you should also measure your thyroid antibodies. 
to see if your body is attacking your thyroid gland. Hers were high. Her doctor actually pushed against. He didn't want to order the test, but she pushed him. I like that. Your doctor is not your boss, not your mother. Should be your partner in determining your health. And she ended up with high thyroid antibodies. And the doctor's like, oh my god. And she saw a specialist. She had a, a lump. The specialist could barely feel in her throat, in her thyroid gland. And she had thyroid cancer. And she wrote to me so grateful, she said, because we got it early. And when do you think treatment works? Really, really early or late? I don't know about you. I'm going for early. This is a very important slide because this is about brain reserve. So again, I showed you as we age, the brain gets less and less active. At some point, that's where the dotted line is. People become symptomatic. What that means is you're out of reserve. So reserve is the extra cushion of brain tissue you have to deal with whatever is coming your way, whether it's aging or stress or hormonal changes, whatever. And as your brain does this, you become symptomatic. And being symptomatic is now, it's a significant problem. Your behavior is either accelerating that or it's decelerating that. And once you get into the trouble zone, you can get yourself back out if you become diligent. I have uh, a number of uh, friends and wonderful patients who've gotten into the trouble zone. They've been diagnosed with things like depression or MS or um, early dementia, mild cognitive impairment, and they've gotten themselves out by doing the right thing. Now, some of you will refuse to give up certain bad behaviors, like you're just, I'm going to have wine every night. Well, then you damn well better be doing all the other things right. So. Professor Andy McGill comes to see me. Um, he has, he's pregnant, you can see that. <laughs> His scan looks awful, just terrible, and he gets brain envy. So, you know, when people get scanned, if you have people that are in denial, the imaging is just so helpful. And 10 years later, he came back to the clinic. He was so proud of himself. Actually, I was so proud of him too. He delivered the baby, lost 100 pounds. and his brain had literally aged backwards. So my best-selling book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, is all about this. You can, with the right habits, literally change your brain. And when you do, you change your life in a positive way. So what accelerates brain aging? So some of these we've talked about. Brain injuries, drugs and alcohol, obesity, sleep apnea, where you snore loudly, stop breathing at night, chronically tired during the day, doubles your risk for Alzheimer's disease. Smoking shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, constricts blood flow. Caffeine is not your friend. If you need caffeine in the morning or you're tired throughout the day, it's probably because you're sleep deprived. Diabetes, hypertension, toxins, bad diet, stress, depression, not exercising, bad decisions, they're at the root of all of it. Low conscientiousness. If you don't show up when you say you're going to show up, you die early. They did a study at Stanford. 
They looked at 1,548 10-year-old children. Then they followed them for 90 years. The number one predictor of longevity was conscientiousness. If you say you're going to show up, and you do, you live the longest. The don't worry, be happy people, more often men on motorcycles, they die the earliest. So if you're like one of those girls that goes for the bad boys, buy a lot of insurance on them. <laughs> Unhealthy peer group. And not knowing about your brain's vulnerability. Andy had no idea. And when I saw him, I'm like, how much are you drinking? Not much. And I've been a psychiatrist for 30 years. And I realize I always have to ask the follow-up question. What does that mean? Well, not much. So in his mind, not much. I said, so how much really? One or two drinks when he comes home from work, one or two at dinner, and one before bed. And I'm like, every night? He's like, yeah, but it's not a problem. I'm like, dude, look at your scan. It's a problem. OK, so what decelerates aging? Good decisions. I want to plant these two words in your head, then what? If I do this, then what happens? If I say this, then what happens? Then what is so important? Conscientiousness, positive peer group, protecting your brain so no head injuries, clean environment, physical health, healthy weight, eight hours of sleep. There's actually some doctors that recommend if someone gets less than seven hours of sleep at night, don't hire them. They make too many mistakes. New learning, this is why integrative nutrition is so important, because as you learn new things, your brain makes new connections, and it actually becomes stronger just by being involved in a great learning process. Great diet is obvious. Why is calorie spending? I think of calories like money. I hate wasting them. You know, like I hate wasting money, I still go around the house turning off lights. It's like, I hate that. It just irritates me. I hate wasting calories. Omega-3 fatty acids, green tea. There's a lot of great things. They go, but what about the caffeine? Well, decaf is better, but at least green tea has half the caffeine as coffee. Physical exercise, gratitude. If you just write down five things you're grateful for every day, in three weeks, you'll notice a significant increase in your level of happiness. There are no side effects to gratitude. and being on a regular stress management program. So I play a little game with my daughter. She and I have played this since she was two. She's nine. It's called Chloe's Game. Is this good for my brain or bad for it? So if I say avocado, she'll say two thumbs up. If I say blueberries, she'll ask me if they're organic. <laughs> Non-organic blueberries are part of the dirty dozen. They hold more pesticides than almost any fruit. If they're organic, she'll go two thumbs up. God's candy. If I say hitting the soccer ball with your head, she'll look at me and say, are you stupid? <laughs> Ice cream, too much sugar. Sassing back to your redheaded mother. Oh, that's not good at all for your brain. <laughs> so I had finished uh, Change Your Brain, Change Your Body and did a special on it. And one day, shortly thereafter, I went to my own church. And Tana, my wife, uh, was
was with me and Chloe was with me and I said, Tana, why don't you drop Chloe off at Children's Church and I'll go save his seats. And as I walk toward the sanctuary, I see hundreds of donuts for sale for charity. They're killing people for charity. And then no lie, there's bacon and sausage cooking on the grill right around from the donuts. And I feel my blood pressure go up. And then, right before I walk in the sanctuary, it's a very large church, there are hundreds of hot dogs cooking on the grill for after church. And I'm furious. So I go into church, and as soon as I sit down, the minister starts talking about the ice cream festival they had the night before. And so I'm typing on my phone when Tana finds me in church, and she gave, gave me that look that only your wife can give you. Why the hell are you on that thing in church? Aren't you, like, supposed to be praying or something? And I showed her what I was typing, which was go to church, get donuts, bacon, sausage, hot dogs, ice cream. They have no idea they're sending people to heaven early. And so I prayed to God that Sunday that God would use me to change the culture of food at church. That's when Rick Warren called me. So Pastor Warren is the author of The Purpose Driven Life, the world's best-selling book, four years in a row. And he said, Dr. Amen, I'm not healthy. My church isn't healthy. Will you help us? And so um, my friends Mark Hyman and Mehmet Oz uh, put together something for the church called The Daniel Plan. It's a 52-week program to get the church healthy. We had 15,000 people sign up, and they got better in small groups. So they got better together. The results were amazing. It was covered in Time Magazine this year. After Well, it's now after 18 months. The church has lost 260,000 pounds. But, but weight loss was the side effect. People reported improved energy, focus, creativity, mood, sleep, reductions in asthma, stress, blood pressure, blood sugars, and many medication. Pastor Warren was down 55 pounds. His cognitive scores went up. Of course, he didn't want to be a dinosaur. He said that was the thing that hooked him on my work. He said, wasn't getting healthy for my heart, didn't care to live longer. I'm a pastor, I'm going to heaven to be sexier. He said, look at me, I'm already sexy. He said, but when I heard you say, as your weight goes up, the size and function of your brain goes down, he said, you had me. I hope that gets you, too. Last story. I do this work for the stories. I love what I do. What I do actually is not work. I love what I do because it changes people's lives. Steve was 640 pounds. Uh, suicidal on 10 medications. He's suicidal, but he can't get upstairs to get his gun. He falls, and whenever Steve falls, one or two people can never get him up. He has to call 911. And so he goes to the hospital, and while he's there, he says, I'm going to seriously kill myself or get well. By random chance, if you believe in random chance, his sister saw me in North Carolina on public television with Change Your Brain, Change Your Body. She bought him my program. And when Steve got home, he just did everything I said. In four months, he lost 160 pounds. His doctor said, if you can get down to 400 pounds, we can do the surgery. And he said, are you nuts? 
If I get down to 400 pounds, I'm just going to keep going. See the psychosis in the medical field? It's just a little crazy. And now, so this is about two and a half years later, Steve has lost 400 pounds. He's lost eight of his medications. He lost his neuropathy. He lost his hypertension. He lost his diabetes. He lost the alcohol. He lost the cigarettes. And he's a zealot for his health and for the health of other people. He's actually one of the coaches now on our site. We have a site called the Amen Solution at Home. So I am so excited to be here and help you with this journey. Please do whatever you can to care about your brain. Thank you so much.
Change your brain, change your body. Alzheimer's expected to triple. No cure on the horizon it starts 30 years before any symptoms. Affects 50% over age 85. Best prevention is to decrease illness that increase risk, such as obesity, heart disease, diabetes, depression, and sleep apnea will help decrease all these problems. New Alzheimer's guidelines, three stages. No obvious symptoms, but wear no, no shoes change are already brewing in the brain. Preclinical -cli pre stage. New Alzheimer's guidelines, three stages. No obvious symptoms, but where nauseous change are already brewing in the brain. Preliclinal change, mild cognitive problem merge. Depression is one of the greatest killers of our time. Affects 50 million Americans at some point. Risk factor for Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, cancer, obesity, and diabetes will help to boost your mood and decrease the depression. Obesity is a serious national crisis. Two over three overweight, one third obese. Risk factor for over 30 medical illnesses. Alzheimer's disease, depression, heart disease, cancer, diabetes. Your brain's involved in everything you do. How you, it is organ of think, feel, act, interact. It is organs of intelligence, character, planning, decision. What accelerates brain aging? Brain injuries, drug and alcohol, obesity, sleep apnea, smoking or caffeine, diabetes, hypertension, toxins, Poor diet, stress, lack of exercise, bad decision, low consciousness, unhealthy peer group, not knowing your own brain vulnerability. Brain health. The brain is one of the least understood organs in the human body. It is responsible for cognitive processing, stores our memories, and help regulate functions throughout the body. In fact, it's estimated that the brain processes about 70,000 thoughts each day. Brain health is related to a variety of factors, including mental and social stimulation, but it is also affected by what we expose to in the environment. For example, neurotoxins like lead or ethanol. In fact, Environmental toxins are taught to negatively affect the formation of the brain and cognitive skills. What makes the brain so vulnerable? Almost all the cells in the brain are in place by age 2 or 3, and only a few small regions of the brain grew or grow new cells after the point. Given this short window of time, a person has to develop a healthy brain and maintain healthy cells. The human brain is extremely vulnerable 
to environmental pollution, the brain may only account for up to 2% of a person's weight, but it consumes 20% of the body energy at a rate that is 10 times faster than the rest of the body program of tissue. These energy-hungry organs requires a constant supply of energy to function, and what you ingest and are exposed to has a di direct impact on its process. The idea that a small amount of exposure are safe is what keeps some of the toxins legal in many countries, comments today. Here at Integrative Nutrition, we encourage you to do your own research and educate yourself so you can make an informed decision about what to put in your body. Here are steps you can take to better protect your health and your brain. Opt for food growth organically or with little to no synthetic pesticides. Experiment with chemical-free yard and garden solutions. Assess the construction year of your home and office building. Construct your local or state health department to find out how many can have paint and dust testing done in your home. Evaluate the ingredients in your everyday self-care and cleaning products. Brain food. The brain needs exercise, social connection, and good nutrition to function as its best. Although the right diet can help protect the brain from damage and support efficient functioning. Primary food that is a fulfilling social life, a stimulating career, and education is also an important aspect of good neurological health. According to the Alzheimer's Association, over 5 million individuals in America currently suffer from this, the disease, but this number is expected to increase by 11 million people by the year of 2050. As a health coach, you can help people leverage good primary and secondary food habits to help prevent cognitive decline and reduce the risk of conditions like Alzheimer's. Some symptoms of impaired brain health include forgetfulness, poor memory, slow reflexes, poor condition, and difficulty focusing and or completing complex tasks. However, a nutritious diet and balanced primary food can help stave off these symptoms, which are often associated with old age. Primary food Primary foods help nourish brain's health and support cognitive function. Just how exercise keeps our muscles fit, primary food helps exercise our brain and keep it in tip-top shape. Here's what research says about how primary food affects the neurological health. Participation in social activities among the elderly has a neuroprotective effect, reducing the likelihood of cognitive impairment, be sure to spend time enjoying the company of others and actively participating in the groups. You may find that joining book club, visiting friends or family, or volunteering is a great way to flex your social skills and make new connections. 
Physical activity helps improve cognitive function at any age, but it is especially important for brain health in older adults. Not only does exercise help reduce the risk of depression and improving cardiovascular health, it also helps boost memory and coordination. Practicing religion or spirituality has been positively associated with a reduced risk of cognitive de decline. If you don't already, consider experimenting with meditation or exploring a spiritual or religious path that speaks to you. Learning a new language may, may help promote cognitive flexibility. Creating hobbies such as painting, dancing, or playing an instrument may help reduce memory loss. These creative outlets are a great opportunity for self-expression and keep your brain challenged. Secondary food. Secondary food provides the actual fuel for our brain to function at its best. A diet rich in whole foods that are high antioxidants and nutritious fats and low in added sugar and processed foods help support neurological health. Here's what research says about how secondary food affects neurological health. The Mediterranean diet, rich in whole foods and healthy fats and low in processed foods, has been shown to slow progression of cognitive decline in older individuals. Blueberries have been shown to increase neurological function among individuals with mild cognitive impairment. Add some blueberries the next time you, mix, you make a smoothie. Flavonols from cocoa may help reduce the severity of age-related cognitive decline. Enjoy a small piece of dark chocolate as a delicious, brain-healthy treat. As a rich source of antioxidants, avocados may help improve cognitive function. Walnuts are a powerful brain function shown to support increased processing time and cognitive flexibility. Have you ever noticed that walnut actually look like brains? Green tea consumption may help reduce risk of cognitive decline. Green tea is high in antioxidants and help fight inflammation which can lead to premature aging. Nourishing the brain. The brain is a mysterious organ. We still know surprisingly little about how it works. The primary and secondary food tips provided, however, have been shown to support neurological function throughout the life cycle. Be sure to choose nutritious food, move your body, foster meaningful relationships, and keep learning. Aging and the Future Health Coaches supports clients in developing healthy habits that promote vibrant health throughout the life cycle which can be particularly useful for older adults. A nutritious diet is great, but achieving balance in primary food can make a significant difference in your long-term health and the long-term health of your clients. The magic pill. When it comes to aging well, there isn't a magic pill. Truly aging well means developing healthy habits throughout your life. Habits that foster not only your physical health through exercise and whole foods, 
but also your emotional health through following your passions, cultivating meaningful relationships, and aligning or living in alignment with your truth. Life expectancy. The average life expectancy has more than doubled in last two centuries. Average life expectancy in United States over the last 200 years. What is the secret ingredient? Better medicine, more exercise, healthy living, early detection, healthy living. The importance of primary food. Primary food is an important component of life expectancy. So make it a priority in your life. Remember to return to the circle of life often and explore your balance of primary food, adjusting as necessary. Relationship, spirituality, physical activity, career. What shortens life expectancy? Ichemic heart disease, stroke, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, lower respiratory infections, Alzheimer's disease, and other dementias. What lengthens life expectancies? Eating whole foods, exercising, not smoking, drinking alcohol moderately if at all. Fostering positive relationship, managing stress. Hi there, I'm here to talk about primary food and today we're going to take a closer look at the area of spirituality in the circle of life. We're going to cover how to view spirituality through the primary food lens and why taking action in this area of your life is important to your overall health and well-being. So to start off, what is spirituality? This concept can be a little ambiguous and intangible. However, I like the way that Dr. Kachowski, the director of the George Washington Institute for Spirituality and Health, defines it. She says that spirituality refers to the way individuals seek and express meaning and purpose, and the way they experience their connectedness to the moment, to self, to others, to nature, and to the significant or sacred. So to make the intangible more tangible, Spirituality is an awareness of a connection to something bigger than ourselves. It is an inner exploration to discover a deep sense of aliveness and interconnectedness. It seeks to answer the questions, who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose in this life? Spirituality is about seeking deeper meaning in life and intending to align with the highest version of ourselves in peace, love, kindness, and joy. Often, spirituality is about growing an awareness to our human spirit or soul that is outside of our five senses, rather than focusing only on our physical or material selves. Now, of course, just like everything that we teach in the curriculum, there is bio-individuality with this primary food. Spirituality means something very different for each person, and the form of spirituality that will fit best for you is very unique. For some, it may look like praying or devoting themselves to a god. For others, it's a daily meditation or attending a local spiritual meetup. And for others, it may be practicing yoga, being of service to others, or spending time in nature. Plus, people's definitions and meaning of spirituality will likely change throughout their lives as they mature, grow, and are taken to new depths by their life experiences. 
There is no right or wrong way to be spiritual, but the common thread is focusing on the broader purpose for our being here. Okay, so why do we teach spirituality in the program? For starters, because spirituality helps us connect to something bigger than ourselves, it's a reminder that we are interconnected. A belief that we are never alone is so important for our health and well-being. Plus, recognition that we serve a purpose for being on Earth has been shown to increase our lifespan. Dan Buechner discusses in the Blue Zone that having a feeling of purpose is one of the greatest indicators of longevity, tacking on up to nine years to the average lifespan. Now, as humans, we have a tendency to focus on what's not working and can be riddled with fears, doubts, or worries. This can be especially true when we're embarking on a new journey, such as starting a health coaching business. Spirituality can help us maintain a broader perspective, even when things are unknown. By having a more expansive perspective on the circumstances of our lives, we are better able to manage our emotions, which in turn supports our health and happiness. Not only that, but a balanced spiritual life often cultivates non-judgment, integrity, kindness, and respect. So spirituality can also help people develop greater self-love. From this space, people are more likely to honor their requirements for self-care, to listen to their body's needs, and to be aware of any other primary or secondary foods that are out of balance. Have you ever heard the saying, your body is a temple? A practice of spirituality can transform that belief into action. It can inspire us to feed our bodies nourishing foods, have a career that feeds our soul, move our bodies in healthy ways, and engage with people who love and support us. All of these actions help us to take better care of our bodies, which are our vehicles here that allow us to serve our greater purpose. As you can see, a balanced spiritual life cultivates greater emotional, mental, and physical well-being, which is why we teach it in the curriculum. It's important to continually check in on how this area of primary food is going for you to ensure that you're nourishing yourself fully, both on and off the plate. Begin exploring this area of primary food in your own life by reflecting on your current relationship with spirituality. Consider your answers to the following questions. What does spirituality mean to you? Is spirituality an area where you currently invest your time? What does a balanced spiritual life look like to you? What spiritual practices resonate with you and uplift you the most? On a scale of 1 to 10, what is your level of satisfaction with this area of primary food? In this module and across the program, you'll learn simple ways to prioritize this area of primary food in your life. At the end of the day, it's about progress, not perfection. So be open to experimentation and take it one day at a time. By exploring ways to bring greater balance to your spirituality, you'll have a healthy and happy life for years to come. In our counseling program, one of the unique aspects that we do is primary food. When I began doing counseling, I never imagined the powerful effect that bringing primary food into the conversation would have on my clients. I also never imagined that 
opening conversation about spiritual practice would ever be something I could bring into my work. And yet, when I did, I noticed that people interlinked their values and beliefs about God and about life and the universe with their health and somehow made them want to be healthier for that purpose, within that purpose. At that time, there was a lot of conversation about prayer and how prayer affects people's health. You know, those studies where you pray for people, and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. So today what we're going to do is uh, rehearse with you what it would be like to introduce a conversation about spirituality into your counseling practice. Because you can't just be like, so, do you believe in God? <laughs> and especially when you are interacting with people who, um, whose faith you are unfamiliar with. It's a sensitive and diplomatic conversation, and they're not used to it. And that's why we go through the primary food circle first with relationship, with exercise, with career. And by that point, maybe you're at the fourth, fifth, sixth session, and they're feeling safer. There's a greater degree of relatedness. And uh, so it's a point where you can ask someone, what's your spiritual practice like? It's a very kind of brief question. You can say, you know, spirituality is part of the primary food circle. And what's that like for you? It's kind of like a vague, what I call high mileage question. In spirituality, there's many people who are born into their religion, and that is what has held true for them for their entire life. They've had yes-no kind of relationship with that religion, and yet that's what they're born into, and that's what they feel comfortable with. There's other people who made some kind of a transition from that into changing religion, or uh, maybe their religion is a non-religion. Their religion could be walking through the park in nature. Their uh, spiritual practice could be that how they interact with another person is their spiritual practice. So for me, this has been an enormous education to understand the diversity and the sensitivity and the sacredness with which people hold their spiritual practice. But can you see how bringing that into your counseling will then add so much more juice to the depth of the conversation? Because sometimes the client will stop after two minutes. You know, well, I was born into this, I do this, I don't go anymore, done. <laughs> and in that case, you want to be, well, what was it like for you as a child? Or what happened when done happened? Did something occur for you? So you want to use your full five minutes to ask questions that take them deeper into their self-remembrance. I'm looking for someone who can speak about being born into a traditional religion and still being a part of that process today. There's someone who could speak about that. Okay. Can you stand up? Hi, my name is Muniza, and I, um, I come from Pakistan, but I live in Connecticut. So I hail from a Muslim country and a Muslim culture. 
Um, I was born in that culture and I still practice, but I've had an amazing journey where I learned all the rituals. This is how I put it. I learned the religion growing up, but I've become spiritual. And I've been able to integrate the religion with the spirituality and be able to find my own version of it. Um, growing up, we, I was raised in a very strict Muslim household. So when you say strict, what? I mean, I mean, you know, we pray five times a day. Um, we were taught to read the Quran in Arabic. We learned the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu in Arabic and his practices. And we would fast in the month of Ramadan. We were taught about giving charity. We were taught that you have to go to pilgrimage once in your life to Mecca. So all those things in my family has practiced all those things and living examples of it. The thing was, my grandfather, who actually passed away just three weeks ago, um, at the age of 96, was a huge spiritual influence in my life. And uh, he, he, always, he always told us, if you don't want to do it, it's okay. And he always said, you, this is the right thing to do. When you feel like doing it, you will. And um, God bless his soul. Um, he, as I grew older, into my teens, I was very um, rebellious. And I questioned everything about the faith. And I said, but why do we do this? And why do we do that? And I couldn't explain it to other people. And it was very hard because I wasn't taught to understand it. But being a very, very curious individual, I would go and look up information. In those days, I was living in the Middle East. It's where I grew up. I'm from Pakistan, but I grew up in Kuwait and Oman and Dubai. And then I moved to London and lived in many different countries, many different cultures. So I always had to be able to explain to people where I was from and what I believed in. And that was just part of it. So I had found that it was very difficult to explain to people why I did things. Why wasn't I allowed to date? I wasn't allowed to be around boys. You know, I couldn't go to mixed parties. It was very, um, it was socially very, very difficult. Yet, I went to a British school. So the environment I was in was Western, it was co-ed. Trying to merge those two things was extremely difficult for me. So, in my teens, I moved away from spiritual practice and my actual rituals. And my parents would be like, no, you've got to go pray. And I would do it because I didn't want to get into trouble. But I didn't feel it. And it wasn't until I was into my 20s that I met, and I've been very curious and I've been searching for this, and I met my husband, who um, this was almost five years ago. Um, and we really connected on spirituality. And I said to him, I said, you know, the things that I hear about from other people and what I feel are in the Quran, what I believe in aren't, they don't match. And what I believe, I couldn't tell anyone here because I was living in the Middle East and, you know, it's anti-Jewish and it's anti-Israeli and we don't talk about that. I hadn't met a Jewish person my whole life till I moved to London. Um, and that was at the age of 26. So I had no idea about what their faith was until I, except for what I read in the Quran, and I said to him, um, I think the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, the Muslim faith, we all have the same God. We have the same feelings and the same tenets and the same values, I think it's just three different traditions, it's just three different expressions of how we do it. And he was the first person I could ever say that to. And he said, I completely agree with you. 
And to me, that was such a shift from how I behaved. And, um, and from that moment on, I realized that there was so much more to my faith. And I researched it, and I still am. And that's why it's become spiritual, because I'm now able to understand it. One of my goals was to not raise my kids the same way that I was raised. Because I, I want them to understand why they believe, and for me to impart that to them, I need to know myself. So that's why it's a journey that's still continuing, and I'm absolutely enthralled by it. session, we would just wouldn't know the person. And by bringing that into the counseling, you know, any food issues they have would be so interlinked. So the depth of your sessions would be, and we all have a story like that, right? Our version of that story in our quest as spiritual beings in the material world. So including that in the counseling practice, provides uh, integration into the results of what will occur. Someone who has switched from their tradition, oh, we got a lot of hands up here, let's, we'll try you. Or Buddha, or whatever. It's 
like you said, it's all the same. As long as you want to be righteous and you have love in your heart and you have love for people and humanity, then you're fine. You don't have to worry. When I was in high school, I became a Muslim at Catholic school. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, we had confession. And I went into the confession crying, and the priest was like, okay, confess your sins. And I was like, I committed a great sin. He was like, well, what happened? I said, well, when I used to go to church with my grandma, I would go up to the, you know, to the priest. You know, they had the communion, eat the bread and drink the wine. And I told him I never got any communion. I just went up there because I was hungry and thirsty from listening for so long. And he said, you know what? That's okay. And I said, really? It's okay? Then I'm not worried about Catholicism anymore. I'm going to go to the next thing. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we could, I could see doing this all day. It is so fascinating. And can you see for the people speaking how meaningful it is for them? It's their life. It is the fundamental cornerstone of their life. And by including that in your work, you're doing so much more than being a nutritionist. And you know, they will thank you. They will remember you for the rest of their life as a turning point. And they'll recommend their friends and other people to come and work with you. The golden path is step 12. Cultivate gratitude. Practice gratitude to supercharge your health. Goji berries, blueberries, kale, primary food, and gratitude. What do these things have in common? They're superfood for your mind, body, and soul. As a health coach, it's easy to rattle off a long list of superfoods, but as an integrative nutrition health coach, you know that concepts like mindfulness, setting intentions, and balancing your primary food are just as vital for supercharging your life. There's a growing body of research that establishes gratitude as a practice with a whole host of physical and psychological benefits. Grateful people even or enjoy stronger relationships and are more likely to be optimistic, inspired, and empathetic. Cultivating a mindset of gratitude has also been linked to increased levels of immunity, higher sleep quality, and improved heart health. It's clear to see how gratitude is quickly establishing itself as a superfood that nourishes you on every level. Assignment, exercise gratitude. 
Just as you exercise your body, you can exercise your mind to view the world in the new ways. A few minutes each week is all it takes to cultivate gratitude and experience the benefits of this new superfood. Action step 1. For one week, write a list of things that you feel grateful for in your life each morning. Your list can include tangible things like people, places, and events as well as more abstract things like a particular feeling you experience in a situation. For example, I feel grateful for an, a comfortable bed to sleep in every night. I feel grateful that my partner cleared our house before I came home from work. I feel grateful that I have enough money to live a life that supports my goal. Keep this list in a journal, in your planner, on your desk at work, or post it in a place where you'll see it daily. Continue challenging yourself to add new items on the list and notice how the feelings of gratitude grows and expands throughout your day. Once a week, for the next month, commit to making a list of three things that you feel grateful for. Then, spend a few minutes pinpointing the specific sources of your gratitude in a few sentence, sentences for each. For example, I feel grateful for my bed because it's just the right amount of firm and it feels really good when my body lies on it. Plus, it allows me to get a deep sleep and restorative sleep, which helps me feel more alert during the day. By digging deeper into the why behind your gratitude, you'll create a space to honor and recognize the source of the feel-good emotions you are experiencing. Assignment Gratitude Activities Below is a collective of activities you can see and share with your clients as a quick pick up or a tool to explore your relationship with gratitude more deeply. You don't need to complete the whole list. Feel free to come back to them when you're ready. Action step 1. Begin a daily or weekly practice of journaling about things you feel grateful for. This will help you become mindful of gratitude's role in your life and will deepen your gratitude practice over time. 2. Write a gratitude letter or email to a friend, family member, or colleague. Be specific and authentic. Not only will this exercise make you feel great, but if you choose to share the letter, the recipient will benefit from the feel-good glow or gratitude too. <clears throat> 3. Create a gratitude challenge to switch things up and have a little fun. Pick a set of number of days and one challenge, such as giving up complaining or sharing your gratitude for someone in your life each day. The possibilities are endless and the result will both shock you and help you understand your relationship with gratitude on a deeper level. 4. Make it a habit to give back to a person, group, or cause. Volunteering, volunteering time or energy to help others will cultivate gratitude in your life or, and you'll impact the lives of others who will truly benefit from the gifts 
you have to offer. 5. Break down your barriers to accepting others' praise, appreciation, and gratitude. If you struggle with receiving gratitude, make an effort to learn to accept compliments and thank yours. An example, if someone compliments your outfit and your automatic response is to downplay the compliment by saying, this old thing or, or it was a great deal on sale, dare yourself to simply smile and say thank you. Instead, likewise, if someone thanks you for your help on a project at work rather than saying it was no big deal, try saying you're welcome. By accepting praise, you not only build your confidence, but you also help the other's person by honoring and acknowledging their opinion. Next, I'd like to talk about complex clients. Since you're not, most of you, majority of you are not doctors. You need to know when you've reached your limit. I don't smell very well. I know when I'm in the ocean. I can go up to a certain point and I feel safe. If there's less waves, I can go up further. If there's more waves, I can go up less far. It's been my experience with students in the school that generally 99% of students understand regarding health counseling the extent of their ability to swim. Sometimes people get confused. They think that they have this letters MD after the name. And they're like, well, you shouldn't take that medication. It's not good for you. Or I think you should really uh, do this and this. So you're not trained to do that. It is a professional training program, but it's not a medical professional training program. It's not a pharmacy professional training program. It's a program that teaches you to interact simply with people through diet and lifestyle. You're not there to try to heal them, although they may get healed. You're not there trying to get them off medication, although they may decide to come off medication. You're there to get them to the average person to eat less meat, milk, sugar, chemicals, artificial junk food, more fruits and vegetables, and water, and more primary food. And through that process, all kinds of magic happens. But when you get caught up in diagnosing, like, say this insulin resistance question. You want to pace yourself. I would, whenever people would ask me questions, like when I was starting when I was in your position, I would just ask them, well, what do you think you should do? What have you tried so far? What has worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? It's, it's a Zen thing where you just work back and forth with them. You don't have the ego to think that you know the answer to everything. It's unnecessary and unhelpful. And it's a... You don't want to just listen to people and be like, it sounds like a really bad problem. How do you feel about that? You want to, it's a balance what I call between yin and yang, between being empathetic and loving and listening and respectful, but also having tools that will help people get well that are practical and immediate. 
if you just give them practical and immediate and give them a list, that's not going to work. If you just give them empathy and love, that will only go so far. So it's a balance between the two. If you have experience on a personal level with the ailment that you're discussing, whether it was your experience, your husband's experience, your child's experience, you have experience. You can tell people, well, I have this personal experience with this that I can share with you if you'd like. But please do not uh, take on, go into water that are deeper than you can swim in. There are a few areas I specifically always point out to people. One is regarding people with cancer. Cancer is a harsh ailment. It's very hard to work with people and turn cancer around. Especially they add in chemotherapy, radiation, operations. You're way out of your league. Some of you think you're not out of your league, but I'm telling you, unless you have specific training around this, I uh, strongly recommend you stay away. But you can be a friend to a person like that. You can say, well, let me you know, drink more water or just listen to them. But it's not something you want to take on. You want to take on your initial clients as people who have simple ailments, generally shop in a health food store already, appreciate organic foods, eat vegetables, and you help them get better. Or they're supermarket people, they don't know anything about this, and just by giving them kale, they're going to be like, oh my god, you're so smart. My whole life is different now. It's a far cry from someone who has a serious disease. Besides cancer, the next big thing is people who are depressed and suicidal. They will find you. Your job is to say, I'm not trained to deal with this. How many of you have found people come to you already with cancer or depression or suicide? Okay. Y'all, anyone take them on as clients? Yeah, so you want to be, you want to be careful. If you have an adequate training to deal with that, that's cool. There are people here, doctors, chiropractors, nurses, you have training psychotherapists, you have training for that. If you don't, uh, you're probably in over your head. Similar with abuse situations. You know, I have clients who walk into a session with a black eye or with scars and things like that. I'm like, whoa, oh, oh, I'm way over my head here. You know, you need to uh, refer people like that to uh, therapists and health professionals or to police. Um, it's very important that you understand the limits of your practice. 99% of people come to us who understand that. Not that I or the school has ever had a problem with this, never. I know that there's 1%, 2% of people who get carried away and or don't think I'm right and go do what they're doing. It's important to find that line. Regarding medications, never change people's medications. It's not your job to do that. People will, through working with you, ask, well, do you think I should go off my medication? Or it'll just happen that they'll go, they'll say, I would just say, well, just go to your doctor, tell them how you're feeling, and see what you can figure out. How many of you feel clear about boundaries and what's okay, what's not okay? 
How many of you have questions about it still? Hi, I was just telling Bonnie about um, a client who was going to be my second paying client, and she has had a history of um, intestinal problems, many surgeries, um, bowel obstruction, and um, we were going to start working this month, and she just found out she has to have more surgery. So we discussed it. And okay, hold it right there. Does this sound like a complex client? Very, very good. And I just knew I couldn't tell her to even drink more water because after her surgery, that might not be something she could do. So um, question? my question is, I gave her back her money, and I told her that once she's passed this, that if she still wants to work with me, we can do it at that point. But my question was, um, I kind of toyed with it, not toyed with it, but went back and forth about it. I'm going to keep her money. <laughs> no, no. This is like the worst money to keep. Yeah, I didn't want, it wasn't a money issue, it was... I don't mean you personally. Right. So <laughs> it, sometimes you yeah. get to a program and you need to be like, you know what? I'd love to keep this thousand dollars. I'm not trained to do this. I'm going to refund their money. This client isn't for me. Whether it's cancer, whether it's suicidal, or whether it's just a, I hate to say it, like a jerk. You know, you just realize, okay, whoa. But my concern with her was my, one of my intentions that we had talked about previously working was she lives on water and saccharin and a lot of artificial sweeteners and has a history of eating disorders that she has overcome. So she lectures now on body image and all of that. So I and didn't know whether my question was whether I should have kept her as a client while she goes through the surgery. And the answer is no. Okay, thank you. Hi. Um, I guess my What's question. Your name? What's, What's your name? My name's Teresa. Hi, everybody. This is my first time with the mic. <laughs> okay. So I think my question here is: Am I doing the right thing with this client? Um, this client has been a challenge to me since session two when she came in in a horrible mood and basically sulked in my home office um, about her life and everything and, and everything that I asked her, her response was, I don't know. She wasn't really opening up. She wasn't lightening up about anything. Okay, so far, what do you think? Should she keep working with her or not? We're mixed. We don't. It wasn't like the first case. We need more information. Okay, which I'm about to give you. The client is a young woman who absolutely suffers from depression, and I, I knew this going in. She's uh, more, uh, uh, now. Continue or no? I, I have a caveat here. I have something I have to add. I'm a licensed social worker, and she is okay, someone. Hold it, hold it. But I want you to see that the answer to these questions is usually obvious. As soon as she says depression, it's like no. As soon as she says licensed social worker, it's yes. But with a little bit of information, the answers are not like borderline. It's clear. Go ahead. Okay. She is a former co-worker. She's uh, a bit younger than me. And... She was already kind of approaching me as her social worker, even though she knew I was just a social worker, not her social worker. So on the one hand, it's really great that she is now paying me. 
our relationship has been formalized, and for me to sit there and listen to her for an hour, I'm getting paid for it, and I feel like I deserve that. And I really want to explore the ways in which we can address her lack of primary food, um, maybe starting with her secondary food, and that's great stuff. The problem is I really don't feel like she's taking any of the suggestions to heart. Um, she's not really doing anything with the tools that I'm trying to make her aware that she has at her disposal. Very frustrating. It's to the point where we have a session on Monday and I'm dreading it, and I don't want to be dreading seeing one of my clients. I want to be welcoming, welcoming them into my loving space and giving them the room to heal and you know giving them the respect and love and admiration that I do Thank feel they all deserve. You're saying some great things so that's why I keep interrupting you. I don't mean to interrupt please, you please, but please. Just what you're saying is very helpful and illustrative for the class. So I appreciate you bringing these Thank you. Up. If you have clients who you're dreading, you know you're not like Mother Teresa. I'm Teresa but I'm not Mother Teresa. It's true. <laughs> It's okay. You don't want to work with them. If I had, I had clients who I dreaded. Like all the money in the world is not worth it for me to sit that hour and suffer with someone. You know, I'm like, here. This, you know, I thought this was gonna work. Obviously, it's not working. You're complaining all the time about all of this. It's okay. You're a good person. I'm a good person. Adios. You can, and someone's like, you can say that. Like, you better say that. Yeah. Yes. Say what? <coughs> snap them out. Oh, yeah. It might snap them out of it. Okay? You, you want to say it diplomatically. But if you're in a situation like that, you thought it was going to be great. How many of you also, the other thing Teresa said that was really good was that you have people, you just wish they were paying clients because they're already your client anyway without paying. Hands? Okay, you can also say adios to them too. You're like, listen Judy, you wouldn't go up to a lawyer in the middle of a party and ask legal questions. Do not come up to me in the middle of a party and ask nutrition questions. And after you set your boundaries, if you let them cross your boundaries, it's you who needs help. Some of you think you're Mother Teresa. Nothing wrong with Mother Teresa, God bless her soul. But just, you know, you're you and just remember your priorities in life. You don't have to fix the world, heal the world, save the world. That's God's job. Your job is to be here and have the life that you came here to have, which is likely not being Mother Teresa. Teresa. I, I get to talk some more? <laughs> You're saying great things, very helpful. Thank you, thank you. Well, um, one of the approaches that I've, I've taken with this client is something that my health counselor advised me to do, which was when we get to the point where the client is going, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, and feeling like there's nothing she can do to change her life, trying to refine um, her goals in terms of meeting with me. Well, what is it that you're hoping to get out of meeting with me? What, what were your intentions for this program? Um, you know, if we're, if we're going to work together, what are your expectations of what might change or how we're going to make that change? And she seemed to really seriously consider that question the last time we met, although she still didn't have an answer. So I mean, sometimes, after, sometimes you'll see me interacting with people 
And if we say, I don't know, and I'll say, it's like this trick question, I'll say, well, if you did know, if you had to guess, um, and also a lot of times when I started practicing, I just noticed people were not ready for recommendations. They just weren't, it didn't matter what the recommendation was, they weren't ready. They needed to rant for three or four sessions about their terrible life and their misery and suffering. And they had to get off their chest, discharge, whatever you want to call it. And were they happy? They were. They still, they came back the next session. I would just sit, park my butt in the chair, sit back, and you go, girl, give me all you got. <laughs> and they just complained. They were nowhere ready to uh, be helped until they got the stuff off their chest. I didn't take it personally. I just sit there, breathe, be like, actually helping this person, I'm getting paid to help this person, I get to watch my breath while I'm helping this person, I can let my mind go for an hour and just sit here and be here now. Uh, we're going on session five on Monday. Somebody asked how many sessions we have. We've had four. So overall now, we're going to wrap up. What do you think? What's the plan? Uh, well, it's funny, you just touched on one thing I was thinking, which was, I think she needs fewer recommendations. Um, and somebody else was also talking about if the client keeps coming back and not doing what you told them, they feel like a failure because they haven't met their goals and, and they're like ashamed to see you. And I don't want her to get to that point. So I think that one big thing to do is, I, I do think I'm going to move forward with her. And I think that it's going to help her in some way, even if she doesn't realize it right now. Um, I think one thing is to to give her fewer things to try to do and let her um, come up with more of her own suggestions and, and give her more space to do the discharging. Thank, Thank you. you. Love you guys. It's, uh, when you give recommendations, it's too many rungs on the ladder at a time. You know if you're on a ladder, you try to go too many rungs at a time and you fall off. So sometimes the recommendations you give people is too many rungs at a time. You tell them, for example, to go out to the store and get kale from the health food store. So that's too many rungs. For them, just when you're in a restaurant, just try to get some vegetables together with the burger. And you want to slow down the recommendations so they're doable. And if they come back and they didn't do it, it means, by definition, that what you gave them was too much. It wasn't their fault. You can think of it like, oh, it was my fault. I overestimated their capacity. I need to simplify it so they can accomplish it, and then they'll be coming back feeling happy. This is more of a real simple uh, recommendation than a question. I've worked with people with tons of issues, and I've worked with people with very little issues. You're rarely going to run across anyone with no issues. Everyone's going to have something, and one thing I've been able to do is we tend to think physicians are bad, you know, don't talk to your physician, you don't need to be on this medication, but if you can actually get a physician's release from their physician and talk to their physician, even if it's just a fact, to find out like if somebody has, um, needs to stay below X amount of sugar, X amount of salt, talk to the physician, get those recommendations from the physician, and then when that client or that patient of theirs starts losing weight and getting healthier, now you have a connection with a physician, and the physician knows you're working from a holistic point of view, and then they're going to start sending more people your way. So don't be afraid to actually talk to a physician, get recommendations from the physician, find out things that you don't know that physician may know, and it kind of covers your butt in the process too. 
So it's something that's been wonderful for me to be able to work with the physicians um, with my clients. Very good, thank you. So just keep counseling, uh, keep learning, understand you're still in school, and avoid situations where you're in over your head. Integrative nutrition health coaches do in healthcare field. Practice parameters. Integrative nutrition health coaches do. Guide conversations to allow clients to explore areas they feel need attention. Make recommendations for basic health supportive behavior changes. Encourage clients to adopt healthy behavior changes and to hold themselves accountable for their choices while supporting them in those decisions. Recommend that clients consult their doctor or medical practitioner before changing a medication, making major dietary changes, starting a few or a new fitness routine, or making any potential harmful behavior changes. Refer to the appropriate medical professional or proper treatment of medical issues. Integrative nutrition health coaches do not do. Drive conversations to areas clients are uncomfortable with. Diagnose, treat, or heal. Force client to adopt behavioral changes. Advise client to stop, the, to stop taking medications. Stop seeing their doctor or medical practitioners. Make major dietary changes. Begin strenuous fitness routine or make any potentially harmful behavioral changes assume the ability to handle all health issues what makes you different from other professionals in the healthcare field nutritionists and dietitians many people don't have intensive medical conditions but really need guidance with their health this support doesn't have to come from a nutritionist or registered dietitian, especially when often what people need is accountability and coaching to implement changes. Integrative nutrition health coaches know how to live in a healthy manner, incorporate health foods and exercise, and help people find balance. Integrative nutrition health coaches work in an ongoing coaching plan to support client goals while dietary nutrition is discussed there's a large focus on non-food forms of nutrition of nourishment like career relationships physical activity and spirituality they assess a client's overall well-being and together come up with recommendations to help enact basic health supportive modifications while your state of country may legally permit you to call yourself as a nutritionist or other forms of nutritional or nutrition professional, IIN trades graduates to earn the title of Integrative Nutrition Health Coach. This title accurately conveys the professional as a supportive client ally who helps people understand how to nourish themselves holistically and coaches them toward their goals. Therapists, psychologists, psychologists, and mental health professionals. While health coaches, therapists, psychologists, and other, 
Other mental health professionals all specialize in listening their approaches to working with clients differ. Unlike a therapist who uses mental health tool to analyze, diagnose, and treat mental health behaviors, an integrative nutrition health coach simply serves as an active and supportive listener, analyzing core coaching skills to ask questions that allows clients to discover their own challenges and solutions. While a therapist often explores one path, to examine unhealthy thought patterns and influences, and integrative nutrition health coaches focuses primarily on the present and future. Integrative nutrition health coaches highlights clients' strength and help them to make immediate lifestyle changes to work toward their goals. Life coaches, health like health coaches and life coaches are share similar approach but specialized in different areas a life coach is an advisor who helps clients achieve goals by working through problems and making decisions like health coaching life coaching involves examining a client's life right now to identify obstacles or challenges to living a fulfilled life and then choosing a course of action both professionals are rooted in the belief that clients already have many of the answers to their questions and simply need guidance on discovering those problems or answers. Mm. However, while life coaches have a general training in a wide variety of areas, integrative nutrition health coaches receive intensive training and specialize in aspects of life that impact a person's health. An integrative nutrition health coach focuses on nutrition, physical activity, relationships, career, and spirituality. These elements can impact markers of health such as stress, weight, and energy levels, the relationship between food and lifestyle, and how they both affect health is the primary fo focus of an integrative nutrition health coach. How are you? I'm doing great. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much for being willing to sit with me, for reaching out. I'm really excited to hear more about you and find out what your goals are and see if there's any way I can support you. Well, thank you for accepting to coach me. <laughs> My pleasure. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. I've been looking at your health history. Yes. And before we continue, just know whatever you share is confidential between us. And... <laughs> they'll be quiet too. Yes. <laughs> questions based on what I've read and thank absolutely. you for filling it out absolutely so my first question is how was the experience of filling this out for you well it was really nice because I did it before doing was uh, the accountability coach but that was a couple of months ago and things change you know during seasons during time and it was really nice to have an actual update of my health history. 
Ah, uh, yes. So it felt good to update it with the shifts and the changes. Exactly. Great. And so I see something really exciting here. It says that you have two children and one on the way. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> yay. <laughs> Thank you. That's beautiful. Yes. How does, how does that feel to you to have a third? Well, we're very excited. I think uh, you can never regret having having a child. Their learning curve, um, I get to learn a lot from them. And it brings a lot of joy and happiness to the family. And my kids, who are five and three, are very excited. They both fight to see. I have a boy and a girl. They both believe that it's going to be from their own gender, so they're very excited. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's a little competition going. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Do you have a feeling on gender? I'm not quite sure. I mean, I feel it's like the first pregnancy, so I would go more like towards a boy, but whichever, boy, girl will be very happy. Great. And what are your kids' names? Sebastian, he's five years old. Okay. He turned five last week. And Eliana, she's three. Great. And I'm taking notes, you'll notice, just so I can remember everything. Okay. Wonderful. And your husband's name? Andrew. Andrew. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. So, for fun, let's just pretend that I can wave a magic wand and what you would most love to experience from coaching with me would happen. So, Perfect. what are your main goals? What would you most love to work on? Well, definitely have balance in life. Uh, have a balance in the different areas of the circle of life. Uh, I mean, in our day-to-day, go-to-go life, we often fall into imbalance, you know, without wanting it. Uh, I see it uh, when you travel, you know, you try to keep the same routine, uh, but it's not always possible, right? Same with the diet. Mm, okay, got it. And so it sounds like what you would love is to feel more balanced overall. Exactly. Especially when you're traveling or when you're home, just to still feel healthy and keep this energy, right? Energy, yeah. Okay, great. And those, all of that sounds really doable and actually not super complicated. Oh, great. So I'd really love to help you with it. Um, and you mentioned the circle of life. I'm so glad you you know of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> convenient. <laughs> so what I would love to hear from you is when you look at the circle of life, what are the areas that you would most love to work on or cultivate? Um, I would say joy, spirituality, and career. Okay, great. And what's your top, if you were to pick one, like the first one you would love to work on together, what would it be? Career. Career. And why is that the most important for you? Well, because I used to have a, a well, working career and became a stay-home home, home mom. And so I would really like to get back into a career, get back to work. Great. And do you know what you would love to do? I would like to get coaching. Well, 
that's wonderful because I can help you with that. <laughs> okay, great, beautiful. Um, so career, and then tell me more about desiring more joy. Um, well, as, the, as Dr. Andrew Vail said, you cannot be always happy, you know, you have yeah. to sometimes experience some sadness, but I think it would be, for me, like fulfilling to have a bit more, more perhaps constant joy, you know, maybe not fake it and make it a joy, but, but really having this mindful joy. Yes, mindful, constant joy. Beautiful. I love how you said that. So it feels like it's less of like a peak experience and more of a way of being. Yes, and less about, you know, searching it, but living it. Whoa, that was really powerful. <laughs> Will you coach me? <laughs> okay, so more about living it within. <laughs> Not seeking it, <laughs> but okay, beautiful. Um, and spirituality, tell me more about what you would love to to do in that area. We'll work more about uh, meditation, be more constant. I mean, I never, I never did meditation before the program. I started around April, mm. and I really feel that it brings me more peace. I'm more calm. I have more patience with the kids, <laughs> so I think it has brought me a lot of things and I think I still have to work a lot to, to get to a, a deeper way of having more, bringing me more things. Lovely, so you, you have done meditation, you do it sometimes, you would like to do more of it. Exactly. Okay, and cultivate more inner peace. Exactly, absolutely. Wonderful, well I can really relate so much of this and it's been a part of my path also definitely desiring more of that joy as a way of being and, um, and I def I used to have some anxiety so I love your goal to really cultivate more inner peace is there anything else we have career spirituality joy energy and life balance is there anything else you would love to work on together? Well, I guess with career, you'll have the financial part. Um, yeah. I feel pretty satisfied with my relationships, social life. Um, we live in a big city, Mexico City, but you know, you always find a way to make arrangements and meet people. And Great. So I'm pretty satisfied in that area of my life. Wow, I really honor and acknowledge that, that you feel satisfied with your social life and relationships, because it all takes work, so that's a win. Always a bit of an effort, exactly, but yeah. it's worth it. The connectivity brings you a lot of joy. Yeah, and there we go, <laughs> our word. Okay, so I'm just going to do an overview and see if there's any more questions. You did say that in your 20s you felt your best. Yes. And why is that? Well, I guess in your 20s you're a bit more worry-free, you know, they're like golden years. Uh, you study, I mean, you're studying with your friends, you're having a good time, you go out, 
you're not a child anymore, so you have more freedom and got it. But you don't have so many responsibilities. Yeah, okay. Well, not always. I guess it depends, but I understand. So that was how you experienced your 20s. Exactly. And would you be willing to add more of that into your life now? Like more of the worry-free play freedom? Exactly. I, I, sometimes I, w I would say I would like to go back in time. Not, I mean, I'm very happy with my life today, but I don't know. It was like maybe a bit more easier to... And then things, you knew better what was happening next, right? I'm going to study, I'm going to work, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get married. And now I feel I'm at the stage where I'm like, hey, well, I've done this, I've done that, I have the kids, and it's like, what's next, right? So what is next? Well, that's, that's the big I, I I would like to start with the coaching career, start my business, um, yeah. working right now on the website. Um, I would like to specialize with kids. So... Let's see how that goes. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Okay, I'm just glancing at the clock to make sure we're we're right on time. Perfect. Okay, lovely. So, um, I want to also acknowledge you for your eating. You eat so healthfully. That is really something I want to celebrate. Thank you. Is there, go ahead. I think I grew up that way. I think with my parents, my mom cooking mostly home meals. Um, I'm just repeating, replicating what she did. Oh, lovely. That's great that she taught you that. Okay, well, then what I would love to do is... I'm going to actually have you close your eyes for a moment. And if you're willing to just put both feet on the ground. And I'm just going to read back to you what we would work on together in a six-month program. So we would work with life balance, experiencing more energy, inner peace through a deeper spiritual connection, joy as a way of being, as an internal experience, we would work together on your coaching career and helping to build that. And we would also add elements of your 20s in, like worry-free, playtime, freedom. We would add that into your life now. And so I'd love for you to imagine your life six months from today as if all of that has come into fruition you're experiencing all these goals being met and more. And just imagine what your life looks like for a moment. Take your time. Have fun with this. Imagine how you're feeling. family, your clients, your inner 20-year-old who's back, and then when you're 
ready, you can slowly and gently wiggle your fingers and toes. And come back into the space. How is that for you? Well, the visualizations feels great. Mm, yes. Absolutely. Very, very fulfilled. So you felt fulfilled? Yes. Oh, and anything else you saw or experienced that you want to share? Well, I saw it even better than the 20s mm. because there's more wisdom. Oh. oh. <laughs> What an awesome awareness. I get the shivers when I'm touched or when someone says something really powerful. I just got the shivers. Thank you. Great. So I would love to work with you on experiencing all of that and more getting to that place of feeling this fulfilled and bringing your 20s into the now and creating a life even more amazing than it was then. How does that sound? Fabulous. Great. I love it. I can't wait to be there. Um, I will be so overjoyed to celebrate that moment with you. So I would love to share more about my six-month program and how it works to coach with me, if that feels good to you. Absolutely. Tell me more about it. I'll tell you what's included and then you can feel free to um, ask any questions. Perfect. So it's six months long and we would talk twice a month for 50 minutes. I love to do Zoom so we can see each other, Mexico City to Hawaii. And um, I also offer email support in between if you would like that. Some of my clients even text me, although there's boundaries around that. Um, and also I include free gifts, um, just if I feel to, I see a book that reminds me of you, I may send it to you. And so all of that is included. I also have a Facebook page with all my current clients and past clients. And so you get to be a part of that for life if you would like. And it's a great way to connect with other people and feel group support as well. So that's what's included in the program. So I would, I would be part of the community. Exactly. It, that's optional, but I also do group calls once a month with all my current and past clients. Okay. Too. It, those, those are optional, but I, just, I believe strongly in the power of the one-on-one -on -one with the, the group support. Okay. And in terms of finances in terms of prices yes yes the six months is fifteen hundred or we can work out a payment plan if you would rather it would then be sixteen hundred just split between the six months okay how does that sound to you well i think it will be definitely worth the price to reach a better self and be in this personal development journey so I would really like to enroll, but I'll take the plan. The plan, okay. <laughs> yes, we'll absolutely do the plan. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to do one more thing. Actually, I'm going to have you say no now um, because of the finances. Okay. And, and just, for, just to mix it up a little bit. 
does the program sound to you? Fabulous. Okay, great. And so, would you like to move forward? Do you have any other plans that we can <laughs> consider? <laughs> What would be your ideal scenario? Um, maybe have the payments on a longer period of time, okay, if possible, or or perhaps in a moment discount, mm, good <laughs> discount. <laughs> so what I would love is just for a moment to look at this question: if money was, if there was no financial exchange. How would you feel about doing this work and this journey? If there was no price and money wasn't a consideration? I, thought, I, 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 I believe you sometimes lose the value of what you could learn. Right? Great. Okay. So then this is what we'll do because I feel really called to work with you. So let's take two days and I'll meditate on if I can discount or a longer payment plan, and you can meditate on this as well, and we will write a follow-up call in the calendar for two days from now, and we'll readdress all of it. How does that feel? That sounds good. Okay, great. I would love that. I'm up for it. Okay, awesome. <laughs> all right. Hi, I'm Thursday with the Education Department. And in this video, we're going to talk about marketing. So, so far we've walked you through some marketing tools like websites, newsletters, blogs, workshops, networking, and referrals. We also went over the importance of thinking like a business owner. Now, let's look at how we can combine all these tools and get our minds in the right place to create a solid marketing plan. Sound good? Let's do it. So, what? exactly is a marketing plan. It's a step-by-step -step guide for success. You may not know right away what will be successful and what won't be, but your marketing plan will serve as a living, breathing document that can be tweaked over time. So don't sweat about getting it perfect right away. The only way to figure out what works is to commit to a plan and measure the results of that plan over time. Today we'll guide you in developing a plan and you'll try it out for six months and then course correct as needed. To start, what marketing tools are you already using? Right now I want you to stop the video and make a note of which marketing tools you've already tried. If you haven't tried any, that's okay. Take a deep breath. <laughs> this exercise is just to assess where you're at so that we can make a plan and move forward. If you haven't tried any marketing tactics yet, pick one now. Perhaps newsletters. Consistent newsletters, whether bi-weekly or monthly, are one of the best ways to engage your audience. It's super important to stay consistent no matter what schedule you choose. We have a full list of marketing tactics for you to choose from outlined in the worksheet that goes with this class. I'll walk you through an example. Let's say you've sent out a newsletter every month for the past few months. Open your newsletter scheduling service now to the page where it shows you all the data. When each newsletter went out, how many people clicked, etc. Go ahead, pause the video, I can wait. The secret to a great marketing plan is data. You'll want to gather as much data as possible. 
In this scenario, record the dates your newsletters are sent. Record the number of opened emails, the number of unsubscribed emails. Write down the subject of your newsletter and the number of comments or emails you received in regards to your newsletter. You'll also want to track what's happening in your business as a whole, the macro details. Track the number of new clients you have each month and the number of inquiries you receive. How many people are curious about your business even if they don't sign up for a program or purchase a product? Now, how do you craft your plan moving forward? The question you want to ask yourself next is, do I have the number of clients I need to meet my income goals? If the answer is no, then you need to increase or streamline your efforts. Then look at what you're currently doing first and hone and master that skill over the next six months. Now notice, I've said hone and master, not change direction or find a new marketing tool necessarily. More isn't always better. Think about if you're training for a sport. Let's say uh, you want to work on your footwork for soccer. You spend a considerable amount of time focusing on one basic footwork skill to see the difference in your overall game. That's not to say that other skills aren't important, but if you haven't mastered one fully, you wouldn't move on to the next. Often, it's not that what we're doing isn't working, but that we just need to do it more consistently and more effectively. Now, as a general rule, in order to know if a tool works, the first step is to use it consistently and properly. It's better to go all in than to dabble in a bunch of different things. The second rule is start with your strengths. Where do you shine? I mean, if you're great at writing and you've been sending out a newsletter, keep going with it. If you've been sending them out sporadically with no real schedule, try committing to monthly or bi-weekly and see how it impacts your biz. Track the same numbers I mentioned earlier. Subscribers, click rates, etc. And watch what happens over the next six months. The worksheets provided will help you greatly with tracking. After you decide on a newsletter schedule, go ahead and put the action steps in your calendar that will help you accomplish your new goal. So break it up into small actionable steps, brainstorming your subject and researching, writing the rough draft, choosing photo or video content, editing and polishing your final draft, and lastly, that glorious moment of scheduling it in your newsletter service. Now, all these steps need to go into your calendar as individual events. On a larger scale, you'll want to schedule calendar events like taking action to build your list. Maybe that means engaging with people on Twitter or Instagram for 15 minutes each day, or posting a teaser about the awesome info in your upcoming newsletter to Facebook. Keeping your audience growing is key to success. You need an audience for your newsletter, so your marketing plan will include networking in whatever way works best for you. The best way to determine this is to pick your primary marketing tool and then circle one or two supporting actions that will help you build your list. Once you've made space in your schedule for nurturing and growing your audience and writing your newsletters, you'll want to track your progress. You may not always know the exact combination of events that lead a client to contact you, but you can pick up clues. Do you notice a surge in your list after you post a teaser to Facebook? Is there a correlation between your Twitter engagement and your list size? Take notes. Once you decide on which marketing tool you will start using regularly, or which current one you will hone and master, set a calendar reminder for three months from that day and check your progress. Set another reminder for six months from your start date, and at that point, measure your progress and decide if you want to course correct or continue in the same way. I want to take a moment to encourage you to wait until your halfway point to make any judgment about what is or isn't working. 
marketing goes in cycles and you don't want to let a couple of negative instances just blow your whole ship over. After you master and hone one marketing skill, you can add another and so on. Give every tactic a solid try. Marketing is like walking your dog. You have to do it daily or your dog will probably get grumpy, lethargic, and dysfunctional. You want to keep your marketing efforts and your audience fresh, excited, and engaged. Now be careful not to overload your plate with too many marketing tools. You, you don't want to spread yourself too thin and water down your efforts. Probably won't produce great results. Now, if you don't know where to start, our coaches have found combining workshops with a consistent newsletter is extremely effective. Many of them still offer workshops for free years into their practice because they always get a list of new emails for their newsletter list and a few health histories out of them. When a business or organization hosts your workshop, they're likely to promote it. And people who don't necessarily sign up for a health history may sign up for your newsletter and or talk to their friends about what they've learned. This is a great example of the trickle-down effect. A client signs up for your newsletter at a workshop and becomes your client months later. Or they refer a friend who becomes a client. Remember that we provide you with great materials in your resources to help you set up a workshop. Lastly, let's talk about vision. The glue that holds your marketing plan together and keeps you energized. Your vision is your overarching message that runs through all your marketing. It's the backbone of your business, what you stand for, what your business stands for, and why you do the work you do. It's a great idea to brainstorm several ways of voicing your vision to find out what resonates with you and what is relatable to your audience. Is it through articles, video content, infographics, do you have a silly or a serious tone? Maybe some hybrid of the two? Your vision is a great one-line pitch when you're in a conversation. For example, I'm a health coach guiding women to feel energized and confident every day through food and lifestyle. Every time I create a newsletter, a social media post, or any form of communication around my brand, I ask myself, does this align with my vision? If the answer is yes, I move forward. If the answer is no, I start over. I always ask the following questions. What is the core message here? Why am I sharing this now? Is it relevant? Who am I speaking to? What's the call to action here? For example, I might give some tips on how to stay healthy during the holidays. And the core message is, set yourself up for success by asking your family or friends for support in your weak areas. At the end, I include an invitation for an initial health history session where they'll walk away with three actionable tips for the holidays. Just a sneak peek. I'll reveal a few things without giving away all the goods. I'm sharing it now because the holidays are coming up and my clients have been emailing me that they're nervous about the endless dessert tables and cocktails. It's relevant. Check. I'm speaking to women who are wanting to feel energized and light every day. The call to action is a complimentary health history session well, I'll give them actionable tools to use this holiday season. Super helpful. And always, ask yourself if your message is in alignment with your brand vision. Your service can change, the way you package it can change, but your mission and what you stand for will likely stay consistent unless you decide at some point to rebrand it completely, which happens from time to time. Let's recap this class. First, you listed the marketing tools you're using now, and then you asked yourself whether or not they're working for you. You gather data, both micro details and macro details. Then you ask yourself, 
if it's supporting you in attracting the number of clients to meet your income goals. You chose a tool to hone and master based on what you've tried so far, and you scheduled individual calendar events for each component of your marketing tactic you chose. You tracked your progress three months from your start date and six months out, and you avoided judging yourself until the three-month point. You course-corrected or increased efforts slightly at that point, but you waited until the six-month mark to switch tools entirely, if at all. And last, you stuck to your vision throughout all your messaging. Awesome job. Pat yourself on the back. Now, I know that may seem like a lot, but the worksheets after this class will walk you through this process step by step. There is no right or wrong way to set up your marketing plan. The important part is to create a plan, stick to it, and measure your results. And as always, make this fun. You're taking action to create a career you love, and I am so proud of you. Marketing Strategy Template A marketing strategy is a step-by-step -step guide for success. The first step is to choose a marketing tactic. It may help to match the tactics to your own strength. Here are some tactics to consider. Newsletters Send out a regular email that keeps your client and potential clients up-to-date on current happenings. Include original content link to relevant articles recipe and tips the latest news for your business including upcoming workshop or retreats and anything else that might interest your target market blogs blogs are great for sharing insights stories experiences links and pictures blog posts can also be shared on social media which is a great tool to link or include on your website to keep your present relevant in search engine rankings. A blog can serve as a place to share information between newsletters. Facebook, create discussion groups, communicate with your clients, and share information about your latest happenings. Spend time liking and commenting on other pages and connecting with people. Twitter. Twitter is a great way to share short blurbs of inspiration. Daily life, updates, quick thoughts are linked to recipe and related content with your community. Instagram. As a visual, Potosm only platform. Instagram is a great place for sharing a behind-the-scenes look at your daily life for your followers. It's especially popular in the culinary community. Pinterest. Pinterest is a great place to tell a story with visuals. Pin or other people photos, follow boards, and create your own. Pinterest is a good platform for referral traffic to your site, particularly if your target audience is predominantly female. Workshops. Either in person or online, workshops are a great way to sample your own your work to a group of people at more affordable rate. You can partner with other business and practitioners or collect email addresses for your newsletters. Referrals Health histories are a great way to get referrals, so do as many as you can. 
partner with any organization or practitioners to establish a referral base and don't forget to collect testimonials. Networking The most important part of networking is being present. Attend events and participate in your community. Just by being an example and sharing what you do, you will be able to network your services. Set a number of events you will like to attend this month. Practice speaking about what you do. Bring your business cards and remember to collect email addresses for your newsletters. Now that you know the options, use the prompt of the following pages to explore which would align best with your business and develop a marketing strategy that puts them into action. 1. List your strength. What tactics would best play to these targets or to these strengths? 2. How can you align your strength with your marketing tool? Brainstorm step you can take over the next 3 months. Track your results. As you work to achieve your marketing goals, it's important to track the data to assess your success and zero in on what resonates with your audience. Use this chart as a guide. everyone, I'm Gabrielle Bernstein. It's wonderful to be with you. I love IIN, so it's great to be here. And I've got a wonderful topic today. It is about creating mindful publicity. And as coaches and as healers and people that are putting out great content into the world, a huge part of what we have to do is publicize our work. I am a self-help book author. Uh, I do large lectures and group coaching workshops. And for the past eight years being in this business, being a mindful publicist has been very, very helpful. And my background prior to being a speaker and an author is that I formerly owned a public relations business. And so I was completely self-taught. I had no background in PR, so I want to practice that because people may say, okay, well, she had a PR business. That's going to be hard for me to do. But really, this was something that I had trained myself to do. And I've merged those PR tools that I had with my former business into the business that I run today as a coach and a speaker and an author. And so it's a great privilege to be able to share these tools with people who I know have the same intention as me, which is to really spread empowering content and put important messages out to the world. And the first thing I want to be really clear about is that I think that if you have that intention with your business, then you must be unapologetic about getting great publicity for your work. And you must be unapologetic about putting your work out into the world because a lot of people have a lot of hang-ups around publicity, right? How dare I talk about myself? How, you know, how dare I bring this up in a conversation? Um, or people that are uncomfortable promoting themselves in public or on the internet. And that brings a lot of anxiety and tension to the conversation. And so my hope is that we can start to merge that energy to come to a place of real genuine desire to share. And so I've got a whole bunch of different reasons that people get stuck in the realm of publicity. A lot of people come from this place of pushing, controlling, and manipulating. And so if you've ever been pushed, controlled, and manipulated by someone, you know what it feels like to not want to work with them. 
And so if you're coming from a place when you're putting your work out, whether it's through Twitter, whether it's through Facebook, whether it's through an email blast, or calling a media outlet, if you're coming from an energy of, I need to make this happen, that will be felt. No matter how perfect your pitch is, no matter how wonderful you are at portraying yourself in print, that energy will come through. That energy comes through in a tweet, in a Facebook post. And so that's one of the great big blocks that comes up for people when they're trying to put their content out to the world. Another big one is that your ego mind, your fear mind, thinks very small when it comes to publicity. So it may be thinking, oh, I just need to be pitching myself to health-related media outlets. When really some of my greatest placements have come in the places where I wouldn't have necessarily thought to go. But my reader lived there. And so I think that it's very, very important to have very strong clarity around who your audience is. And knowing who your audience is will be a tremendous gift when you're pitching yourself, whether you're pitching yourself through, like I said, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or whether you're pitching yourself by literally calling a media outlet. You may be thinking, okay, I need to put myself in all of these health publications because I'm a nutrition coach and that's where I need to be. But really understanding your audience, you may start to realize, well, actually, my audience also loves glossy fashion magazines. And my audience also reads uh, blogs on how to cut their hair. Or my audience really loves YouTube videos about spirituality. And they may not necessarily just be in those health and wellness arenas. A, a great example uh, in my own business was there came a point when I started to get clear that my audience was this young spiritual seeker. She had a stack of self-help books next to her bed. She was eager to understand and demystify these principles, but she was really uncomfortable with the language of the books that she'd been reading. And she just really desperately wanted to find a better, more mindful way of living. She has a salary job. She probably lives in an urban city. She probably wants a relationship, maybe struggles in the relationship that she's in. She may have an eating disorder. She struggles with food. And she has moments of self-loathing. So that's pretty clear, right? I'm giving you a pretty clear definition of who that audience is. Knowing who she is helped me really go broader and think beyond those limiting beliefs of where she could live and where her media consumption habits were. So understanding that she was seeking something and that she probably was often looking to find that happiness in a pair of shoes or in a celebrity gossip magazine or somewhere outside of herself. And so thinking in that way and recognizing the clarity of who that audience member was, I started to think a lot about how that reader was not just looking for it in the self-help book section, but looking for happiness in glossy fashion magazines. And so I started to just say regularly, I am ready to put myself out in a glossy fashion magazine. I want that reader who's a seeker but maybe doesn't realize she's a seeker yet. And that was something that just became part of my conversation. I started putting that energy out there, speaking it, talking about it, telling people in my group courses, just mentioning it, and being very, once again, very unapologetic about my desire to make sure that my message was spread widely. Within a month of having this conversation in my social situations and in my group coaching courses, I get an email from one of my coaching clients who I did not know worked at Elle magazine. And she said, well, I heard you saying that you wanted to be in a glossy magazine. I pitched you to my team. They wanted to do a six-page feature. And so this kind of thing, if we are not thinking without a box, and if we're not really clear about who our audience is, we can't have that clear intention of why we want to put the work out. We can't have that clear understanding of where the audience lives. And we can't have that power of being able to put the message out and speak unapologetically about where we want that placement to hit. 
And so that was a real merge of spiritual beliefs and really raising my own belief system around the work, clarity around who that audience member was, and then the actual practical action of talking about the business. And so those are some really key steps right now, just really how can we become that person who has a clear intention around what it is that we're putting out, and how can we shift our energy around our publicity plan? And so you can have fun with this if you're coming from a place of clarity. And so as I've already mentioned, having clarity around who you are putting out there, right? What is it that you're putting out? Who are you talking to? Where does that audience member consume their media? So are they on Facebook? If they're on Facebook and they're not on Twitter, then get off Twitter, right? If they're in a glossy magazine and they're not in uh, the Wall Street Journal, then go to the glossy magazine. If they're more of a YouTube watcher rather than someone who reads blogs, make sure you're focusing on video content. So rather than spinning yourself in a million circles trying to be everywhere all at once, the work is to really become mindful of where that audience member lives and really strategically focus your media outreach in those areas. Uh, then having clarity around what it is that you want to position yourself as. How do you want to position yourself and your practice in the world? And really, most importantly, what is the intention behind the work that you're doing? Because from a metaphysical perspective, that intention is what is felt. That desire to make sure that the message is heard. For me, for years, before I was even published, and I was just wanting to grow my audience, I would sit in meditation and I would envision that reader. And I would just allow my mind's eye to carry me into a place where I could start to just let that creative capacity within me take over. And I began to see these visions of a young 20-something woman sitting on the subway reading my book. And this was a book that didn't even exist yet. Reading my book. Uh, she has kids. She's got really cute skinny jeans. She's, you know, got her headphones on listening to some great, you know, indie music. And she's crying as she reads the book. And I, right now, even in this moment, could be moved to tears from that description of who my audience member is. And I really genuinely believe that that connection, that energetic connection, and that deep desire to serve that reader is what has been such a powerful force behind the publicity that has occurred in my business and in my career. And, and I don't want to, I say this not to brag or boast, but I think it's important to understand, you know, what can manifest from that energy. And, and, and some of the, the most sought-after media placements have been manifested, not pushed and created. Um, the New York Times Sunday Style section, sitting next to Oprah Winfrey on Super Soul Sunday. Um, magazines like the Wall Street Journal. Uh, really, you know, covers of magazines like Experience Life. Uh, really, you name it, this has been regular spots on the Today Show. And again, this is not to brag, this is to say this is literally the combination of a clear desire to serve with a real clear understanding of who my audience member is and a real fierce understanding of how to position that messaging without coming across as needy and manipulative and controlling, but instead come across as this is such an important message that must be shared. And that, I think, is not the energy that a lot of people bring to their publicity plan. A lot of times people come at it with so much fear, so much tension, and the feeling of I need to get this out. A friend of mine today actually said to me, well, I was told I need to tweet 20 times a day. I was like, what? And, and she's like, well, I was told I need to tweet 20 times a day in order to grow my following. And I just looked at her and said, you got it all wrong, sister. 
the real way to grow following through social media, or even grow following through a newsletter, grow following through creating media relationships, is by genuinely expressing your truth, by putting out a message that you believe in, and not coming from a salesy place, coming from a sharing place. I am selling all day long on Twitter, selling my products, selling my lectures, but it's not, I never even feel like I'm selling. I feel like I'm just sharing. I'm coming from a place of saying, I love this so deeply, I can't wait for everyone to be there. And that same energy of saying, how dare I not get this message out there? So I think it's a lot of taking all that strategic stuff and throwing it out the door. Because all that strategy around 20 tweets a day and you know the perfect Facebook post and that perfect blog is insane. It's insane. It's the energy and the intention behind the, the work that you put out. The other major great thing to know in creating a publicity movement of any kind is to really make sure that the content is heartfelt, authentic, and strong. And so, and love the content that you put out. A lot of people think that they need to be doing video blogs and blogging and pitching print and tweeting and, you know, Instagramming, and they think they need to do it all. I actually completely take that back. I think that you, you absolutely need to do quite the opposite. My hope is that people do what they love. Just a great example. For, for many years, I was working uh, just altruistically, putting out a video blog. For the past eight years, every Monday, I put out a video blog through my newsletter. And it's uh, featured on my website, and it's also on YouTube. And that video blog was something that I'd done for free. It's something that I love. It's something that was easy to me. I started to recognize it would take me far less time to shoot, edit, and upload a video than it would take me to write a blog. That's just me. This is what was interesting and exciting to me and energizing and effortless. I continued to put that video blog out regularly. And within six years of really being just growing that audience, that was a big part of what started to happen, was that I started to really grow my newsletter audience because people were opting in to get these video blogs every week. I grew my YouTube audience, I grew my Twitter audience, because these videos were free content that people enjoyed and that they were sharing. And as Seth Godin says, ideas that spread win. And so that was such a great example of something that was just ideas that were spreading. And so within six years, I really believe that the universe greatly supports your genuine intention to serve. And so with my genuine intention to serve for six years, not missing a single week for the past six years, I've put out a weekly video blog. And six years in, I get a, an email uh, to, to apply to, for this YouTube Next video blogger. This was a friend of mine said, oh, you should do this. It's an application that you fill out that says, you know, here's, here's all what I do. And it was literally a one-page application. And I get a call about 48 hours later from YouTube saying, you've won. We've chosen you out of 16 people. There's thousands of people apply. We really love what you're doing. We want to support you. They've given me $10,000 of publicity, $10,000 of new video equipment, and six months of training with all of the top YouTube stars. And now this is a ex great example of your genuine altruistic actions being greatly supported by the universe. So don't be afraid to give away free content. Don't be afraid to just put out the work that you love. And I think that the main message in this is don't try to do it all. I haven't written more than like three blogs in a quarter since 2006. Every quarter maybe I write three blogs. Just because I'm asked to or because it's something that I want to do to support some other content. But mainly what I do is these videos. And that's because I love them and they're fun for me and that is what's going to be well received. So rather than trying to be everywhere and be you know in every single platform, 
writing, blogging, ask yourself really clearly, what do I love to do? What is energizing for me? What feels authentic to me? What feels exciting for me to put out into the world? And in that space of that genuine excitement, you'll wake up on that Sunday morning and be so thrilled to write your blog rather than seeing it as a chore. If it feels like a chore, it will feel like a chore to the reader to read it. If it feels empowering and exciting to you to create, it will be an empowering, exciting experience for your audience. And that is one of the most important things because there's absolutely no difference in the metaphysical ways that we think about manifesting partners or manifesting abundance in the same sense manifesting media. It's all energy. The energy and the intention that you put behind your publicity plan will be reflected back to you tenfold. And so that, that message of really loving what you're creating will be the greatest benefit to your whole practice. And so just to sort of really re-energize this whole conversation just with a little bit more clarity. Have a clear intention of who your audience is. Have a clear intention of how you serve that audience. And then be even more clear about what energizes you and excites you about how you can position your work. And in that space of energy, you will really be given all that you need to move that momentum forward. Uh, I also really want to make sure that you come from a place of sharing. As I said earlier, don't come from a place of pushing. And you know if you're pushing. You know. I like that girl who I spoke to today. I need to put 20 tweets out of there. I was like, if you tweeted at me 20 times, I will unfollow you in five seconds. And, and that also, people know and they recognize when those tweets are canned, right? I, am a hu I have a lot going on on my plate, and I am the only person, and I am the only person on my team who tweets, Instagrams, Facebooks, pins every single image, every single message everything. It will never come from another human being, regardless of how big my business gets, regardless of how busy I get, because the second that those messages start coming from a third party, everyone will know that that is not me. And so a lot of you, the majority of this audience, are individuals who are putting themselves out in the world with the intention of being a public figure and someone who wants to carry an empowering message and wants to really serve the planet. Be you. Do not be anything but who you are. Do not put any content out that is not genuine and authentic, and do not put any content out that is not extremely exciting and empowering to you. And so with that empowering energy coming through you, it will be reflected back to you. Um, the same thing goes for where do you pitch yourself. If, if you love reading blogs, and you know that your audience loves reading blogs, then maybe you're pitching yourself to reading those blogs. Don't pitch yourself everywhere. It doesn't have to be everywhere. It's great if you get that business placement, but that reader may not even be looking at it, and you spent all this time trying to pitch that placement and get the reporter to be on your side and go through the interview process, and it did nothing for your brand. And so be strategic about where you're positioning your media pitches and where you're positioning your work. And, and, and in a major way, don't waste your energy and your time because it does add up, right? This is another additional part of our publicity process uh, in addition to a weekly newsletter, in addition to all the social media stuff. Don't let this become a chore. Let it be something that is exciting for you and fun for you. Uh, if you're someone who does not like pitching themselves, a great tip here is sometimes just create a press at your name, right? So if your name is Jen Simons, right? Then you can say press at jensimons.com. And for a little while, you can get by pitching yourself with an alias. 
Uh, and that sometimes can give you sort of a little bit of power. Like you don't have to feel like you're putting yourself out there, but you can feel like you're really just putting yourself out uh, as a second person. Whether you have a great intern who can speak on your behalf or you've hired an assistant who can work well for you. Um, hiring a PR firm isn't always the option for someone as they're building a business. So really becoming your own publicist is literally what I did for the first seven years of my career. I was running my own PR, and the only time I actually had to get a PR firm was because it was too much for me to handle, because it was a lot of stuff coming in, and there was no more need to push it out. And so it was really, th that becomes a great opportunity, but before then, for seven years, all of my biggest media placements have happened through genuine, authentic sharing. Um, and, and I think that real great story to close with is that you have to also trust that the media that you're receiving is coming to you at the exact right time when your business and you as a human being are an energy being with which can hold what it is that you're receiving. For the past seven years, or eight years, I was sitting on my meditation pillow envisioning myself sitting next to Oprah Winfrey and many moments of close calls that fell apart, fell apart, fell apart. And continuously I just kept saying, that was not the time. That was not the time. And then when I get a phone call this time last summer from the reporters, the producers at Harpo saying, hey, Gabrielle, we're ready to have you on. I said, thank you, Harpo. I've been waiting for your call for 10 years. And, and, and really, it felt very clear to me. Well, that is the exact divine moment when not only me as a human being, but my business as an energy force can hold and sustain the magnitude of what that will be for me. And had that happened any sooner, I wouldn't have been able to hold it. I wouldn't have been able to deal with what happened after or deal with the responsibilities of what may happen when you put yourself out in that way. And so really understanding and accepting that you're not receiving anything a day too soon or a day too late. Whatever is coming to you is a co-creation, particularly if you can back off, relax. It's a co-creation that is coming in the most divine time. And so with that clarity and with that intention of service and that desire to really unapologetically spread your message with the masses, you can create a very, very powerful publicity plan.